Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 124 of Controller Controllables and welcome to Wimbledon Week. Wimbledon 2021 is round the corner and we have a couple of fantastic episodes coming to you this week, starting with our review of the French Open, which will also lead into our preview of Wimbledon in the same show. And as you know, it's a busy time of year for tennis players, for tennis fans, certainly back in the UK. And it wasn't so easy to get the guests together for this one. Luckily, Xavier Melisse was available and Mark Hilton was available And it really does make for a great podcast. There was something a little bit more intimate about the three of us just having a conversation about what happened in Paris. And there was so many subjects for us to get into. Such a fascinating Grand Slam event. And then we moved our eyes and our attention to SW19, to Wimbledon that we haven't now seen for two years I think we are all incredibly excited to see the players competing on the green grass courts at Wimbledon and Xavier and Mark, who are both very much in the men's game. Mark Hilton, as Dan Evans has coached for many years and now is working alongside a lot of the top British players that are coming through. And Xavier Melis, the coach of Lloyd Harris, to get their insight into what they think could happen to the potential differences moving from the clear courts to the grass courts. It's a great listen. And before you start, just while I've got your attention, I'd love to read out a couple of reviews which have continued to come into control the controllables. So many of you reaching out and I've managed to pick up on some emails and conversations with many of you and I've just loved having the opportunity to do that. I just want to share two reviews. Such a good podcast, a really great mix of guests with interests and stories to tell. And these podcasts have been a great listen anytime I'm out walking and I'm looking forward to many more. That was Carey 30 on the Apple Podcast app. And then Andy Barclay, who's been a big supporter of the podcast. Honestly, I'm genuinely upset when I finish an episode knowing I have to wait for more. Makes my car journeys to London and back much more enjoyable and so many learnings taken away each time. This is such great feedback for us to get, guys. Please do keep the ratings, the reviews coming in. It means a lot to us and also it helps spread this podcast far and wide. But now I'm going to pass you over to Xavier Melisse and Mark Hilton for the French Open review and Wimbledon preview. Welcome back to Control the Controllables. How are we doing, guys? Really well, yeah. thanks, Gino. Very good. Nice and hot. Well, it's good. It's good to have you on. It's not been easy to get the paddle back up and running. A, a busy, busy time of year. You know, you boys as coaches, 
I know we've got Anne that's going to join us any minute once she can get her kids down to bed as well. And unfortunately, Freddie, we're not going to have Freddie Nielsen on this occasion as he is practicing. He like he's still going strong, age 38, on the practice courts. And today, a little bit different for the listeners. We're gonna we're gonna go through what happened in Paris, but we're also then gonna look ahead to London and to Wimbledon, and bring bring the whole two tournaments together. And as a starting point, Xavier, uh, a, a massive talking point that started in Paris that I know is bigger than any tennis tournament. It's something that is at the heart of everyday life, mental health. And we had Naomi Osaka pulling out after a couple of days of, of saying she wasn't going to do the press conferences. And that kind of took over and almost seemed whenever you went on Twitter, you went on any social media platform, nobody was talking about the tennis for a few days because that took over. Is it a bad thing that that took over or is maybe that a good thing that it brought mental health to the forefront? Well, I mean, I think it's both things. I mean, it's bad it took away from... French Open for a couple of days uh, from the sport itself. Um, but then I do understand we have to address mental health. Uh, it's definitely an issue. It's not easy. Uh, you know, it's a sensitive subject. You can see it from both ways. I think if you're going to pull out the second round, then why even go? It's, it's, I think it's my take. You know, you beat one person and that person is going home and then the next day you just kind of say bye-bye. I don't think it's the way that it should have been handled. But then I also understand, hey, listen, if you're in a bad place mentally and, you know, it's tough, you know, you become this number number one in the world. Everybody's pulling your your arm and your sleeve and, you know, it's tough. It's It takes time to get used to. But, you know, if you're going to go to a slam, you either go hundred percent in or you don't go at all. So that's yeah. kind of my view on it. Yeah. yeah and, and Mark, I'll bring you in Mark Hilton as well here. Back in the days, I remember us squeezing through a doubles match at Wimbledon at similar sort of times back in 2005. And we were loving having the opportunity to go and speak in a press conference. It was as if, you know, we'd, we'd made it. People actually wanted to speak to us. The fact that there was only one person in there when we arrived, you know, maybe has has a little bit something different to say about. And I guess it's hard for us to really understand what it's like to be this superstar, the highest paid athlete, female athlete in the world. You know, an Olympic year, a, a, a lot of pressure, you know, almost is she the next? I mean, Xavier said it on our podcast a couple of months ago that maybe Naomi Osaka is the next person to take women's tennis forward. How, how's your take been on it and how have you reflected on this period? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, Xavier is to begin the tournament, probably aware that you're probably not in the best spot. You know, in hindsight, maybe there should have been some consideration whether she began the event. But at the same time, you know, she's a huge voice in the women's game and in world sport. And if she can implement some change, which I felt at the start, you know, listening to her speak, it was very much about implementing change and how these players have to be put up in front of the press and on a platform after every match. So, you know, if someone's going to make those changes, then she's going to have a strong voice to do that. There was a huge, you know, deflection away from the tennis that was going on, which was a shame, but I guess you'd now hope that if the, in her situation, that change can, can happen. 
given the fact that she stood up and, and made a point of that. It's just whether that actually happens now. It'd be nice that if something came of it, it would make it more powerful in a way that she's done it. But let, I think only time will tell with that. But I think that the, my, my take on that, though, Hilt, is I guess what change? So in, in terms of, look, ultimately, and, and I've said this on previous podcasts, you know, we had Igor Sviontek's sports psychologist on at the week, the week that it happened. For, first and foremost, we're looking out for the person always, you know, and that, that always has to be the case, you know, and, and look, Naomi, I hope she's well, I really do. And, you know, if she needs to take time away from the game, then I completely get that, you know, I hope she's got good people in her life taking care of that. But in terms of change of press conferences or change of, of ultimately the media are selling our sport, you know, and, and we're in, in the battle with, with many other sports, many other things, you know, the bigger our stars can be and the more sought after they are in lots of ways is, is also the narrative we want for our sport. So, so in terms of, in terms, and I know you've said this, Xavier, as well, since you retired, you now realise how important going and spending that time with the sponsors are you know, going and spending that little bit of time. And, and I guess if you approach the media in the right way, you can get them on your side and you can get your narrative out there and almost build what you want to build from it. You know, and and, and I just I just think sometimes the tennis players maybe don't realise that. You know, if you can just share your reflections on that, Xavier, of, of from your playing careers where you know, I'm sure you were very sought after to now playing on the Legends Tour and understanding how the whole sport works on both sides. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you know, you're in your bubble when you're on a on the professional tour. You're so um, not stuck, but kind of a little bit in your own bubble with your people, your managers, your physio, coach, this, all that, and nobody is is allowed to get in or to touch you or or all that stuff. But you know, and I always thought that way too. You know, to be honest, there's good journalists and there's bad ones that just want sensation and try to get into private life and stuff. So I understand. But then, like you say, you're playing on the Champions Tour, you the pressure is off. You now get to have a drink and talk with the sponsor. And it's actually interesting because you have to see it from their point of view too. You know, they invest in events like the same thing in the professionals where your prize money comes from and all, all your stuff. So I would have, like I said in the previous parts, I would have enjoyed to have the time to kind of get to know the world around it, to talk to journalists and have a laugh with them or have a, you know, you couldn't have a beer or whatever, just a drink, but it's different. You know, you have to get ready for different matches on the champions tour. You don't really, you know, I mean, it's a different level and a different understanding, but um, I've come to understand uh, only after my career, how big of an impact sponsors and media really is and that they not always out to to break you but also sometimes you know you can make it through them too so it's it's a it's a you know again it works both ways and I understand she's fed up with it sometimes or she's tired of it but you know hey you want to be number one it comes with it and you have to you know adjust to it and talking of superstars it almost felt like a few days later we were all so happy to have our big male superstar Roger Federer back on the courts you know won 
won his epic night match in four tight sets. And as he walked off the court, he, he basically said there and then, I don't think I'll be playing the next round. And basically what he said, Hiltz, was, yeah, I've had enough match practice. I'm ready to go and chuck myself at Wimbledon now. <laughs> and it feels as if nothing was said. It was just, you know, okay, that's Roger. Nobody can touch Roger. He's got he's got three good matches under his belt. Then I think everyone's saying their prayers that he's going to have one last hoorah at Wimbledon. But that wasn't right. That 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 didn't sit right with me. And I, I would like to know how you felt about that as well. Yeah, it, it went quiet, didn't it? And um, listen, it's Roger Federer. So there's a feeling like said he can he can walk on water. He can he can make his own decisions, and and there won't be a an awful lot of comeback from him, especially any negative comeback. I mean, but I think morally there was a question mark there, wasn't there? You, you would suggest that if he wasn't going to finish the match, should he be winning the match? Um, whether he made the decision before he was going on that, or, or the circumstances of the match, of the length of the match and the demands that it was, that it, it was enough. But there's no doubt he probably had it in his mind that if he got enough tennis there, that that was his main preparation is probably to get ready for the grass, right? Um, it was going to be his main chance to to go really deep in these slams again and the fact that he hadn't been competing. So it, I agree with you. It didn't sit well. But what are you going to do? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's one of them. It's, it's the reality of the situation. You, when you It's Roger Federer, but it doesn't necessarily make it morally right. But I remember going back, you go back to the junior days, and I'm sure this happened to me a couple of times. For whatever reason, I couldn't play the next round. You know, I think we've all been there. You know, you couldn't play the next round. You're going on a family holiday or you're doing whatever. It was like you would get to match point up almost just for your own ego to kind of prove that you've won the match. And then you shake hands. And I remember one time doing it and the kid was looking at me like, what's going on? You know, you've not won the match. I said, no, no, I haven't, but you have, you know, well done. You know, I've, I'm out of here. I'm off on holiday, mate. What if Roger had done that? Because I guess Dominic Kopfer, who he played against that night and who threw the kitchen sink at Roger and was also pretty worked up in that match. If Federer had gone to match point and then gone up, shook hands with Kopfer and said, look, I'm, I'm retiring good luck in the next round. Is that better than what he did, Xavier? I don't know. I don't think so. Because like you say, it's like saying, well, listen, I can beat you, but here you go ahead because, you know, I had enough practice and it's, it's, it, it would be bad also. I mean, I think both ways was not the right way, but it would have given the guy a chance to, at least they would have had a quarterfinals, which would have been better. But, you know, I totally understand because I've done that a couple of times, like you say, in junior days. But I think it wouldn't be right either. I mean, then the guy would have been playing, what, three and a half hours, busting his butt off. And then Roger just says, here, here, here you go. Here's a gift. Go play tomorrow. You know, it, it wouldn't be right either. So yeah, I think both ways was, was wrong. Um Again, you understand from Roger's point of view, two surgeries, I understand. But again, if you come to a slam, you go all the way or you just, you know, you can't just say I'm going to have some practice matches at the French Open. You know, I mean, people, the guys are the 60, 70 or 
or that are playing there, giving everything to be in the quarterfinals. So, you know, like Mark said, it's Roger. He walks on water and he can do whatever he wants. I understand. And he listens to his body. But yeah, once you're in, especially in the fourth round, now you have no quarters, you know. Not maybe, maybe he's also guilty of being too honest. You know, I would imagine that, you know, coming, yeah. you know, coming off the court, because what, what surprised me was how quickly after the match he said it. You know, he didn't officially say it, but he kind of did in yeah. his pre- in his press conference after the match. And it's like, you know, I'm sure there has been times in tennis history where someone's come out and said they've got a bad ankle or they've got a bad yeah, exactly. knee. And they, uh, could just the next day, you know, my knee is hurting, so I'm out of here. And then, yeah, like you say, maybe it's too honest. So that's a, you know, but that's Roger. I think he's always been very nice to everything and just too honest and would have been easier. I don't think he's ever pulled out of a match once he started either, has he? Is that right? Well, like, I think, I think that, I think that, that, that might have been something. I mean, the other thing is he hasn't played a lot of tennis this last <laughs> couple of years. Maybe, maybe he needed the prize money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to feed his cows. <laughs> <laughs> New bells around the neck. And, and, and on the men's, I mean, what an event, what an event that ended up being. And, you know, I was, as I said beforehand, I was almost ready. And then I, I remembered that word humility. And I remembered a story actually that, that I heard about Andy Murray when Andy Murray was two sets to love up in the final of Wimbledon against Novak Djokovic. And as the story goes, and Judy's been on the podcast to tell me that this is pretty much right. You know, I'll maybe extend the story a little bit for the listeners. But at the end of the t- first two sets, all of a sudden the shortbread that Judy's mum had made started coming out round the box. And I think it was like Jared Butler or, you know, a couple of, you know, famous actors. And they were, there was this kind of real kind of, jovial atmosphere you know final of Wimbledon ice two sets to love up get the shortbread up and Judy gave the the Murray stare to tell everyone to put the effing shortbread away because this match has got a long way to go you know and obviously on that day Andy went on to win the final and that was in my head as I was about to send a text message to the WhatsApp group to say my pick I put my neck on the line. I went for City Pass. He's he's gonna get it because once again Novak Djokovic Xavier came from look like he was out, pretty much tanked the last game in the in the second set, and you thought here we go again. And there you are, an hour and a half, two hours later. He's won number nineteen. I'm sure everyone's gonna say he's the favourite going into Wimbledon, and and what's gonna stop him? What can you say about Novak Djokovic? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan, but his character, his ever his fighting spirit, everything. I mean, everything's in the right place. I mean, the guy, you know, to come back and like you say, you tank the last game and all of a sudden you win three pretty easy sets is, you know, you got to be mentally strong. That's why I think he is where he is too. You know, he just keeps going. It's a machine. You're playing against the wall and, physically he's there mentally he's there he fights everything's in the right place and that's why you win i mean to beat this guy three sets that's why they win all these slams too to beat him three so you can do it two sets maybe on on, on a good day 
but to win three, you know, physically, it's 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 another level. And I, even Tsitsipas is in good shape too. You know, the experience to finish a match off in the final, you know, it all comes with it. So, at the end of the day, I think that's you know would uh, put uh, Djokovic through experience, mental toughness, physically. You'd have to be at the best in every, especially in the final. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's amazing. But he did it against Musetti as well earlier in the tournament. 7-6, 7-6 down. I mean, we see junior tennis players lose a set 7-6 and then they just dissolve for yeah. the second set. The, the, the thought process of losing 7-6, 7-6 in two and a half hours and knowing you've got to start again and win three sets, whereas he just crushed Musetti. Massetti crumbled completely physically, mentally, hardly won another point, never mind a game. So why is it Hilt? Because even Xavier said there what, I think what we all think, that he doesn't win us over. You know, as, as amazing as Novak Djokovic is, I, I don't think anybody can doubt he's going to go on and win the most ever Grand Slams on the male side. You know, he's going to go down statistically as the greatest ever player. I believe men and women, I really do. I think he's going to not be far off 30 grand slams. You know, he's going to get 27, 28. Why, why can we not warm to him? Um, just got one of those faces, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he's incredible. I mean, get that, that final, I mean, once, once he broke Sissipas, wasn't it, early in the third, I think to go 3-1 up that, that, really, that really long game, it just felt like there was inevitability that he... Oh. It's weird, isn't it? He's two sets down, he's, but you just feel like, no, no, he's, he's okay here. You know, he's going to be fine. It's, and, he, and he's obviously built that over, over the course of these years where he, his, his, his mental resilience, his ability to, to fight through situations where you feel it's a bit of a lost cause. It's incredible and... As, as Xavier said, over two sets, it's slightly different, the best of three sets, but over five, you know, these guys just able to respond. It, it, it's, it's, it's unreal. I, I think one of the reasons why he's quite difficult to sort of warm to in certain respects is that he's, he's obviously coming up against Nadal and Federer, who are very easy to warm to, you know. They're so likeable in, in so many ways that it's difficult to, to compete with that. But the respect you've got to have for him for for how he is and how he competes and his ability just to keep coming back. And, and not just that, his, his level of tennis is quite incredible, isn't it? You know, um, there's huge respect for that. And, and, as, and I agree with you, he's, he's, he's going he's gonna to go down as the best, in my opinion, and unfortunately, in my opinion, but yeah, it's going to happen. Because you, you even said then, and going back to that 2013 Wimbledon final, Andy Murray serving two sets to love up, 5-4 up. That's not a big deal. You know, he's two sets to love up. He's five, four up. But even Andy said himself, if he hadn't have won that game, mm. it was a 50-50 match. <laughs> two sets to love down five all in the third. You know, mm. and it's it's incredible. And I think, you know, for all of those listening, you know, players, coaches, parents, that's been worked on. You know, that mental side of the game, 
You know, you hear Novak talking about it all the time. You know, he is he is putting daily work into that side of the game that everybody puts in on the physical side as well. And it's in it and it really is incredible how strong and resilient he is. And that match in the semi-final, Rafael Nadal. I mean, I I actually was at a tournament in Seville. And I was watching the kids and some people had an iPad and you could see little bits. And it was like computer tennis in that third set, you know, the level of tennis that they played. But is 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 that Nadal? How does Nadal come back from that, Xavier? You know, it's his his home slam in terms of Roland Garros, only the only the third time in 16 years that he's lost a match there. He's now pulled out of Wimbledon. You know, yeah. the body's obviously not doing great. He's not getting any younger. You know, I know that he's not as biologically old as Roger, but in terms of tennis and body and all of those things, you know, how much more does Rafa have to give us? Um, yeah, to be honest, I don't think he's going to be too bothered about the loss because, I mean, the, like you said, the level was so high, it could have gone either way. And when you play your best tennis and it's only your third match in 16 years you lose there, I'm pretty sure you're get over it quicker than when you lose every year you know so um yeah i mean it was so good but yeah the body you have to listen to the body he's had problems before like you say he's not getting any older uh he plays the kind of tennis where it's working tennis every day even at practice so you know it's gonna he needs to listen and take a couple of weeks off for a month um which i think is a good decision especially also with the olympics uh, you know, travel to Japan for one week and live in a bubble. I, I, you know, it, I think it was coming. There's going to be more that are not going to play, I think, just because of that reason. You know, no fans, a bubble, Japan, and after this, Cincinnati and Washington, all those kinds of stuff. So, yeah, same for Wimbledon. I think it will hurt a little bit that he can't go to Wimbledon because he's had amazing matches there in in the past also. But... Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to take the loss because he played against a guy, that, you know, that's, like we said, that's going to be statistically the best one on paper. So with all the slams, so I think he'll just, you know, rest a couple of weeks, get the body working again for the summer on the hard course and be ready for the U.S. Open all the way. So, you know, these guys have the time to do that and have the ability to do that. So uh, I don't think there'll be too much problems on his side. Taken us into the women's French Open, which which was an, an amazing event, you know, up until up until the quarterfinals, I really felt like, you know, this is, and again, purely for ego reasons, you know, I my two picks were still going strong. You know, Badosa from from Spain, who, you know, really looked as if she was on top of that, about to make the semifinals. We then had Iga Sviontek, who I, I'd spoken uh, very, very strongly about. She'd been training at the academy. You know, I was really wishing her on, on the way to the title as well. And then in the end, we ended up with a final that I'm not sure was the greatest final for the game of tennis because I think the, the people were kind of saying, well, who is this? And, and, and who this person is who's gone on to win the event she wasn't even in the top 100 in the world nine months ago. You know, and Barbara Krejcikova, you know, world number one doubles player, kind of come from nowhere. Yes, won the won the tournament in Strasbourg the week before, 
and then it just seemed to just keep going through the draw, keep going through the draw. And and there she is now, double, double French Open champion, you know, won the singles and won the doubles. You know, what was your take on that, Hills? Well, it's an incredible performance for starters, but I mean, to, to, to win the tournament the week before as well, and then and then and then go into into Paris and do what she did. She because coming through some tight matches, you know, the one with Sakari in particular in the in the semis was huge and you know, it, it's really impressive from her to, to do that for basically three weeks in a row. Um, as you said, it, it maybe wasn't the best spectacle in terms of a final, but, you know, massive respect to her to get through that. And a few things might have fallen her way during the event, but you need that luck, don't you, sometimes to to get over the line. And she's, she's still got to do it. And and she said she, she did it in the circumstances where she came through some really, really tight matches. And I, I would have felt that Sakari saw it as a great opportunity. Unfortunately, that didn't quite happen for her, but all respect to, to Krejcikova for winning. And Coco Goff, we can't not mention Coco. She's been talked about as the next big thing now. It feels like for a few years, you know, even though she still is only 17 years old, you know, she's she's made a quarterfinal appearance at the French Open. And, and alongside Yishviontek's, it seems in the Andriscus, it seems as if we've got two or three girls there that are, are the real deals, have you? Uh, yeah, there's some refreshment going on in the women's tennis, which is nice to see because, you know, it's been so many years with Serena. I mean, Venus has been a couple of years off, but uh, no, it's been the same. You know, Kerber, Azarenka, was it Serena, um, Halep, everybody. So it's nice to see fresh faces on the, on the women's side and, and young faces um, but yeah, with Coco Golf, I mean, if if she doesn't get injured, then I think you know we got a new Serena on the hands, and it's going to be many years of her. She's just pretty calm, pretty mentally tough already for a seventeen-year-old. I mean, if I think of me as a seventeen-year-old, I mean, I was with you guys. You know how it was. <laughs> so, you know, to be that collected and. You know, so focused on 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 the goal in hand is is amazing for a seventeen year old. So she's got a big future. And then with uh, is it Sviatek you say? Yeah. Is I saw not much, but a couple of games, and I saw her last year also. I mean, I like the way she plays. She hits it. She follows through. She she really goes for it, and it's more it's exciting to watch. It's not that uh, tennis of you know what we're used to with the women it's a bit of different uh, different stuff so I, I really like it and and they're definitely the ones to watch in the in the coming years so Xavier you were 17 chasing British tennis players like Louise Herbert you know on an evening Coco Goff was tweeting that she was playing uno cards with her dad <laughs> You know, and, and, and I do, I, I do. It's amazing how she has her feet so firmly on a, on the ground. Seems like her dad's done an, an amazing, an amazing job. And again, we saw that with Eager as well. You know, when she was at the academy, um, incredible how these young girls have their feet on the ground, and just how they seem to have such a such strong teams around them. That maybe if we go back into our days, and I know certainly your level was up from myself and Hiltz as you went into the pro game, but do you think you had that strength of team around you, not just a coach, but it's like like Eager's traveling with a sports psychologist. Yeah, she's traveling with physio. She's traveling with fitness coach. You know, Coco's, I'm sure, got a hitting partner. She's got dad. She's got coach. You know, it wasn't quite the same back in the day. Huh? 
No, it's totally different for us. I think, um, I think at 16, 17, I was still traveling with the coach from the Federation and that was it. And as a team, um, I mean, I left at 17 to Boletaris where I finally opened my eyes, how to be more professional and how it's done. And we had the ex-coach of Agassi there at the Academy together with Boletari. But before that, I mean, yeah, there was never any talk of a sports psychologist or, or, or have a, a physical trainer travel with you to the tournaments. I mean, it was just, you know, you know, I was two girls, two guys and one coach and you try to sneak out at night and that was the most fun you had all week, you know, so <laughs> that's how it went. But yeah, it's totally different. You know, there's more money involved. There's more opportunities academies are bigger i think there's more coaches that know what and how and it's all changed from you know from 23 years ago totally yeah. sounds like we had the much better end of the bargain when you say it like that yeah we had a lot more fun that's for sure <laughs> and and i just want to as as it feels like the the tour has done they've kind of quite quickly slipped from the french open the dusty clay in paris to the green grass of Wimbledon. And, and I'd like to do that today as well with them being so close together. I, I can't move on without saying the French Federation moved the French Open back a week without anybody as approval. They just seem to do what the hell they want to do. And it, and it certainly seemed to have caused some unrest. We've had obviously Rafael Nadal, Naomi Osaka. We've had a few kind of big, big players already, already pull out. What is the big change, Hiltz? You know, when you're going, you know, for those listening, I think sometimes we hear fast and slow. We hear high bounce, low bounce. But, but what are the other nuances of moving from a clay court to a grass court? And how do you go about adjusting to that? Well, I think over time, especially more in recent years, they've got closer together um, in terms of, similarities in in the surface and in, in the speed you know it used to feel much quicker i know wimbledon like to say that they haven't changed any of the length of the grass anything like that but it just it's 100 percent slower than it used to be i think you only have to look at the the tactical element of the game to see a lot more tennis looking like hard court tennis looking like clay court tennis on a grass court um so i think the biggest changes are more for the the movement um there's obviously going to be just a change of surface for the body to 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 get used to that the subtle differences with that but in terms of the actual speed of court it's definitely got slower so why you see way more baseline rallies you only have to look at the grass courts after after a week at wimbledon to see where where it's being used mostly compared to how it used to be used so I think it's more about the body. It's more about the movement. It's it's not about the speed of court now. And Xavier, you, as someone who's still working as a coach with Lloyd Harris, you know, on the two, I know you're helping him out for 12, 15 weeks a year. What's your advice to, to Lloyd as he, as he moves from a clay court to a grass court? What are some of the fundamental pieces of advice that you're passing on to him? Uh, for me, grass, like like Mark also said, it's it's this almost the same speed now. So, but when you do get that first hit in on grass, I feel like eight eighty percent you'll win you win the rallies. You know, obviously the serve is still a big issue. 
um, on, on grass, that's always very important to keep your serve uh, percentage up because if there's one shot that still slides a bit and, and goes faster than on clay or hardcore is to serve, but from the back, it's all the same. So I always felt when I played that if I got the first really good hard, it doesn't have to be a winner, but just that good hard pace, good control hidden, you win most of the Because now, you know, they're hitting up. And once you hit up on the grass, now it just sits there to be hit. So, um, you know, obviously you practice the returns a lot because it's more a reaction game on grass. Um, but, you know, when I talk to Lloyd, I keep telling him, you know, mix it up. Don't just always play the same game too, you know. Mix it up with a little bit of slice. But as soon as you're ready to get that first hit in, to me, that's the most important thing on grass. And, um that's how I used to do it. And then you just look to attack and then and, and go onwards from that. And when you say hit as well, it was interesting. So as we're, for the listeners, we're recording this just a couple of hours out after the Queen's final and just watching Berrettini against Norrie, you know, it, certainly in the big moments, there's a lot to be said for that firm chip return as well. You know, that uh, obviously if you hit that chip return, that's not doing anything. But there was a couple in the last game, the Berrettini just got his hat racket on and he just managed to keep the ball, you know, quite firm off the strings, a good contact. And now it's just staying so low on the grass and so hard to hurt from. Whereas I, I think that shot on a clear court just gets eaten up. You know, it's not it's not getting the job done. And, and I think there's, you know, those couple of little adjustments, you know, maybe going back in behind, you know, as, as a pattern, you know, getting the guys, once one guy's moving in one direction, it's quite difficult to reorganize yourself to get back in, back in behind, you know, and I think we, we talked off air hilts. I think sometimes people around the world think that us Brits have got that, got it sussed on the grass courts, but it's, it's now two years since anybody in the world has played on grass. How much of an effect is that going to have on the grass court season this year? Yeah, uh, I always have the opinion that the more competitive opportunities you get on the grass leading into Wimbledon, the better. You, you see it, I can only speak of the guys domestically here. You look at Dan Evans played the challenger in Nottingham before Queens. It's, ju it's just to start to feel comfortable on the surface, comfortable with going from clay to grass, the movement, the, as you said, the slight adjustments to court position to be able to be more aggressive when you have the chance and it's, it's, for me, it's really quite unfortunate that we have such a short grass court season in the grand scheme of things. You know, we have no master series on the grass. It seems to be over quite quickly. They even look at challenger events. There's still clay court challenger events going on during grass court. The grass court challenges here. This week, this week, there was one ATP challenger event on grass and four ATP challenger events on clay. Yet, yet they're saying that this is the grass court swing. The ATP get that wrong. The, the, it, I, I, I really believe that. If it, it, Listen, it, it's a complicated calendar and uh, it's not easy to squeeze events in. But for me, there definitely needs to be a bigger grass court swing here, you know, in, to make it to say fair is, is, is I'm not sure that's the right thing to say. But you know, I also think for the viewer as well, it's, it's great to see the, the contrasts and you often see results which pay potentially you don't see. You know, we've just seen Jack Draper at Queens this week have you know, be Yannick Sinner, be, be, you see so, see some results which you just wouldn't see normally. 
you know, and I think that's really good. You know, it's a shame that they don't have a few more on. It's a shame that it's not a bit more extended, but um, that's, a, that's another conversation. And you've touched on Jack there. He was someone I definitely wanted to mention. I, we've seen him coming for a while, Hiltz. You know, he, you know, finalist of junior Wimbledon two, two or three years ago. He just, he, he has it, in my opinion. You know, he does. He's a, you know, obviously his dad, Roger Draper, it was such a massive part of the LTA, comes from a tennis family. And and like you say, that, that opportunity over the years, there's been many a British player that's pulled off a win or two on a grass court, you know, but to take out Yannick Sinner, 7-6-7-6, then to take Bublik out, 7-6-7-6 as well, before falling to Cameron Norrie, he, he seems to be the real deal. Jack Draper. Yeah, he, he's got a, he's got a big game. He's got weapons, uh, not just on a grass court. He's got great desire, and as you said, he's he's had some success in, in in the past in some junior level. But he's been a bit unfortunate in recent times with injury. Even coming into Queens, he'd been suffering um, with a stomach problem. Uh, he had to pull out in Miami early this year, uh, so it's been a bit stop start for him this year but there's no doubt in his level and, and what he's capable of doing. You know, you watch him play, he's got good personality. Um, he clearly likes to play on, on a big stage. And we don't, you know, we've also got to be careful not to overhype him. You know, he's, yep. he's still the start of his journey, but there's no reason why um, he can't go on to bigger and better things. And I hope he does. Um, and and this week is, a, is, is another reason why it should strengthen his belief that he, that he can do that. And, and, and to stick to a couple of the British guys in particular, you know, the one that definitely hasn't been overhyped, you know, has gone the route of college. You know, he's kind of come out, just kind of just chugged along, chugged along, chugged along. He's now got himself into a position where he's top 40 in the world. I believe he goes to 34 in the world, 13 in the ATP race, you know, after his final appearance at Queen's. And Xavier, he played your boy, Lloyd Harris, in, in the French Open. And it seems like Cameron Norrie is not just doing it on a grass court. He's not just doing it on a hard court. He's also starting to do it on a clay court as well. You know, what a great example to, to youngsters, you know, looking on. He, 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 he hasn't gone that typical route straight into the pros, wild cards, and then off he's gone. He's just worked and worked. What are your thoughts on Cameron? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know him that well. The only reason I do know a bit, and not not about the tennis, but about his work ethic, is because Lloyd and Cameron shared a physio uh, for two or three months on the clay season here. And... Um, I remember talking to the physio, uh, you know, about Lloyd, obviously, but also about Cameron, where he, the physio said the guy does everything to perfection. He does what he needs to do. Um, and to be honest, I think that's the only way for Cameron to do it. But like you say, you just kind of tippy toes around when he's now 34 in the world. So now he definitely starts to get the attention and he should because, you know, he works really, really hard and does everything he needs to do. And, you know, like you say, on clay, I think he played finals in Estoril also. Played finals now on grass. He's got a good game. He's got a solid serve. He's lefty. He uses it well. He's got that short little backhand that kind of just slides over the net. So, you know, he and he's a smart player. Um, today, he wasn't so smart on the juice point that uh, Queen's at 4-3 or... <laughs> But, you know, you learn, you know, it's big stages. you got to get used to it. Um, it's finals. It's a different match than a second round. So 
Um, but yeah, I mean, all hats off to him. This guy, um, as I said, I, from talking to the physio, does everything he can all day, 24-7. He's professional, and that's why he is where he is and well-deserved. And, and the, the last one, Hilt, on the, on the British side, Heather Watson, you know, has had, a, had an incredibly difficult year, last 12 months or so. And it just feels like the grass courts gives certain players an opportunity to maybe kickstart their careers again. And, you know, over in Birmingham last week, a, a semi-final appearance, you know, a great win over Donna Vekic in the quarterfinals as well. You know, it's, it's nice to see some of the girls starting to perform again as well. Yeah, it's great to see Heather winning. You know, she's obviously had good success in the past. And I think there's a, probably a bit of a feeling like in recent times that maybe she, she's underachieved in a certain way, but she, she's certainly got grass court pedigree. And to make semi-finals in Birmingham League is, is a real confidence and belief booster for her before going into Wimbledon because, you know, we've seen her perform there so well before that match against Serena Williams in particular sticks out. And she's got a lot of attributes to be to be very good on the grass. She moves well. She counter punches well. She enjoys playing clearly domestically and having the, the home crowds behind her. And there's no reason why she can't go into Wimbledon with a lot of confidence to, to make some moves for the draw. I think 2021 Wimbledon might be remembered. And I think it might be remembered unfortunately for for maybe some sad goodbyes and and I know we don't we don't know it yet but there's three big names that jump to my mind that some of you listening might have heard Serena Williams Roger Federer and Andy Murray I I can't see any of them playing Wimbledon 2022 is that a big statement are you on my side um, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty much on your side with that one. I think Roger is, I mean, at some point, I think it's going to get tired. I think it's going to, like you say, this, this Wimbledon is going to be all or nothing. Um, and then he'll probably decide Serena, same boat, you know, having the kid and, you know, it's not like it used to be, but she could still win it, you know, with that power she has. And then Andy with the injuries and everything, but seems like he's he played pretty good at the, at Queens um, or good matches. So it's it's going to be sad to have big names like this go. But, you know, at some point they've been there for so long. And I think they yeah, I mean, what can you say? There's there's not much to say that the only thing is that I'm on your side. They're going to, at some point, have to say goodbye. And to keep it going and going and going, I think it's not good either. You know, you want to also end a bit on a high when you had such amazing careers like this. So um, this could be, yeah, I think one of them might actually say goodbye after Wimbledon. One, one out of three is a good possibility and then the rest will follow. But uh, yeah. we, ha- we have to cherish, cherish every moment that we've got them. You know, we really do. And, is there one last hoorah for Roger Federer Hiltz? Can he can he somehow pull together seven matches and and sign off with his 21st Grand Slam? And I'm not going to say which number it is for Wimbledon because that might be in the quiz in a minute. But can he do it? Can he do it? Listen, you don't say no. It's unlikely. <laughs> 
but he he can do it. Uh, he probably needs a few things to go his way. He, he needs his body to hold up, but I'm sure his preparation is for that in terms of what he's done in a few matches in Paris. And there's there's no doubt he's going to give himself the best chance in the circumstances in. Um, and he, and it's one of them. It's getting on the court with Roger Federer. There's probably only a few people in that tournament who believe they may be, may be able to get over the line at Wimbledon. You know, he's going to probably play every match on the biggest court. It's not easy to get through someone like that over five sets who's got the history there and to have the belief that he can do it. There's, there's, there's people who can, but not many. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him in deep into the second week to get over the line against the obvious, which would be Novak Djokovic, it's going to be a big challenge because Novak's got his own agenda at the moment of reaching that that record, and you know the calendar Grand Slams obviously on for him. So there's some challenges ahead for Roger, but I wouldn't want to rule them out. And what about Serena Xavier? It it feels like number twenty four as 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 eluded her because she's wanted it so much. It's almost yeah. like there's a there's a desperation there. You know, on the clear court, she actually looked fitter than she has. She looked like she's hitting the ball well. I don't think she was ready to do it on a clear court, but she gets that serve going. Just maybe, maybe this could be her 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 final year as well. Yeah, I think if there's one more slam, just like Rogers, she could do it. It's the grass because of the power. She can power her way through the girls a little because it does go a little bit quicker. I think it all depends if you have the first couple of rounds are pretty, not easy, but, you know, a good match, like a three and six, three, six, two match. Once they have that confidence, you know, it builds a nice couple of yeah, first, second round. And then, you know, you're in the third round, you feel good. You, you get your confidence, you're feeling back on grass, then she's dangerous and she could still win one. But you know, like you say, when you want it so bad, it's like a kid. You want it so bad, you can't sleep the night before. It usually doesn't happen the way you want it to go. So, and that's that's what's been holding her back. But you know, I mean, what can you say? Twenty three slams. I'm pretty sure she knows what to do by now. But uh, <laughs> if she gets a good round, I think she can power her way through. So, before we go into our predictions, last time, and I know Xavier, you weren't with us, but Anne, Freddie, and Mark were incredibly predictable. You know, they jumped, they jumped on the Rafa train, which fell off. I can understand Freddie did. (laughs) At the semi-final stage. They all jumped on the Ash Barty train, who fell at the second round stage. Freddie jumped on the train of McNally again. And this time (laughs) she played the tournament, but this time she lost in qualifying. So his success rate wasn't overly good. So we're going to get into our big predictions in a minute, but... What about some names? And if we start start on the men's side, who, who are some names that maybe the listeners aren't so familiar with who, who are going to go fourth round, quarterfinal? You know, somebody, maybe your boy, maybe Lloyd. Lloyd Harris is someone for us to watch Xavi on the grass courts. I would love for and Lloyd has the game. I mean, a lot of things, you know, you need some luck too. You need to feel good first rounds, everything. I would love to see look. He's good on all servers, got a big serve. Um, so I would I would love that. But um, you know, I think that kid that won uh was it Halle today, Umber. I mean, he plays, he's lefty, plays flat, he hits the ball, you know, if he 
Now he won the tournament, so he's going to take a week off probably, get in shape, or not in shape, but get back on, you know, practice, rest his body. And and, and so I, I like him. He's, he's he, I saw him play on fast court here in Antwerp too last year. I think he played semis or finals. So he's a, he's a good kid. He's got good strokes. He's calm. So he's, I think he's one kid that, that, uh, that you need to watch out for also. Yeah, I think that's a good shout with Humbert. The other person who I expect we're going to see a lot more of, not just on the grass, but potentially through the American hard swing, is Sebastian Corda. Yeah. You know, he's someone who, who's got a big game, big weapons. Um, I was recently over in the States and speaking to his coach over there, and he holds him in high regard. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of him in the future. There's no doubt that he's going to be performing at a a much higher level than he is already. Um, he's shown his ability to get through some big matches, but I think that people are going to see a lot more of him in, in the coming weeks and maybe at Wimbledon. How do you break Riley Opelka on a grass court? Like, it, well, you know, it's like, you know, these guys, that's a, he, he's the one that absolutely jumps to my mind. And, and the one that we haven't talked about today, but is again now just made himself such a solid Top top forty, top thirty guy. Um, somebody you know very well, Hiltz, Dan Evans. You know, if he get if he gets the right draw, you know, he's he's the sort of guy he's shown in, in recent months that he can go toe to toe with the best of the best. You know, I'd love to see Dan in a in a in a in a last sixteen fourth round match, center court against a real big name. You know, and you know, getting fired up, all of these, the whole crowd. I think was going to be fifty percent capacity up until the final, where I believe it's a hundred percent at Wimbledon. You know, I'd love to see him put it together in in his home slam, and I think he's showing that there's no reason why not as well, Hiltz. Absolutely. You know, he had a he had a good run there a couple of years back, and lost a, a painful one to to Souza, as I recall, on, on centre or one and. That was to play Rafa, I think, in the last 16. But there's, there's, there's no doubt he can, you know, he's got a game which is going to be so effective on the grass. We know how he competes. I guess the biggest challenge for him is I, I, I 100% believe he can go really deep in that tournament. I think he needs to get through the first few rounds reasonably well for his body. He, he, physically, he's, he's strong now, and there's no doubt. But I think over seven matches on the grass, best of five, if he can get through those first few rounds relatively unscathed in terms of in terms of his body, I think he puts himself in a great in a great opportunity to to go well. Um, it and could there be won't seeded. be many. Um, he... I, I, is, is, he's going to be borderline, isn't he? I, I'm not sure if he's he, is he top thirty two right now. I think he's in and around, but I think Cam, from what I from what I'd heard, Norrie has now jumped into potentially the thirty second spot because I think there's a couple of top. 32 guys that are out injured you know so i think yeah i have to say though it's 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 it's, it's not been kind to him the seating when he's been um 31 32 he's often placed in a position where he's meeting one of the top boys in round three and and listen you're in the third round there potentially and there's a lot of tennis to be played to that position but there's something to be said for maybe not being in that position you know i listen he he he, he has capabilities to to beat most players on the grass, and hopefully he can, he can show he can show that this year because, you know, it'd be, it'd be fantastic if he can get that go well and on Wimbledon this year. 
And what about on the women's side, Xavier? I know, you know, the predominantly you're you're on the men's tour. You know, Anne unfortunately hasn't made it. Who was who was going to be representing us uh, on the on the WTA tour side? But any of the girls that you can think that maybe the listeners haven't had a whole lot of time to to see that maybe could make a break. I mean, we're seeing in the French Open, I'm sure nobody's picking Pavlichenkova to make the final, you know, Krijakova win, winning the title. It's, it feels as if it's a pretty open field. Yeah, it is it's open, I think. I, to be honest, I think if I th- Azarenka is hitting the ball really clean again. So, and she's 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 been there before. So, you know, I know it's not a new name, but I feel if she's in good position because she hits it really hard, really clean. If she gets on a roll a little bit, she could be bring up some some old memories. But um, did you see her slice forehand? The other yeah, day? I saw that the other day. <laughs> that was nasty. It was. It would mean if she could master that shot. Uh, yeah, that should be no problem. <laughs> then she's my pick, yeah. But I think she, yeah, that could even be my pick, actually, because she's hitting the ball clean if serves well. But then also, you know, like a Coco Goff, if she gets on a roll again, the power always wins a little bit on the, on the women's side. You know, you have a couple like Barty with the slice and stuff who plays it smart. But if you can hit through a couple of girls, then I think that's... Uh, Always a, a little plus. Well, I noticed that Kazakina has been going pretty well, hasn't she? Um, skillful. I wouldn't be surprised to see her go well, but a control, the controllables guest as well, Hiltz. You know, I didn't even pay you to say that, you know, but that's you know, when you get our guests going well, it's uh, it's I always like it when they're picked. So thank you for that. Uh, and to state the obvious, you know, I, I think with Serena. Xavier touched on it. She just appears to be a little bit desperate to get to, to this next step for her. And I think that she'll go well at Wimbledon. There's no doubt. It's just what happens at the business end for her, you know, when she gets closer to the to the finishing line. But there's no doubt that she's going to be there or thereabouts on the grass court, you know, no doubt. So a couple, a couple of names I'd like to chuck out there, seeing as you guys have just been chucking out names that are multiple Grand Slam champions, which once again completely goes against the rules of a dark horse. You know, but that's, I mean, Azarenka and Williams are basically the two favourites for the event that you two have picked for the as dark horses. So a, a couple of dark horses that I'd like to mention, and I, and I watched this girl play, against Fiontech in, in Paris. And that is, that's Annette Contaviet. And oh my goodness, I couldn't believe how hard she hit her backhand. And I just thought when I was watching that match, if she hits that backhand on a grass court, as well as that, that's not going to come up, come back so often. And, and I'm with you guys, the big hitters, the big hard flat hitters that can get that first hit in. The other one is Madison Keys who, you know, I don't, Madison's not been around so much, but I know she beat Sabalenka last week and and feels as if she's starting to get into a little bit of a better place. And I think it'll be it'll be really interesting to see if, if a couple a couple of those players. And the last one that I want to mention, I mention it all the time. And and I, I am a I'm a big believer in this player. I believe she's going to be a, a top 10, top five player. And that is Marta Kostuk. 
who who I mentioned, I think, at the Australian Open, and she lost first round. I didn't mention, mention her at the French Open, but she did actually go on to make the round of 16 and, and, and put up a really good performance. And that girl can seriously play. She's a serious athlete. And I think she's, she's a one for us to watch. And now the time has come to your, for your picks. Where are you putting, where are you putting your money boys for the men's Wimbledon 2021 champion? I mean, there's only one guy who's going to win, right? So we don't want to go with him. It's a tough one. Cause after that, it's kind of... Um... But hold, Xavier, Xavier, this is exactly what happened the last time. Come on, you guys are experienced tennis people. They sat there and said, there's one man, there's only one man, Rafael Nadal, and he, and he lost in the semifinals. It's not as straight up as that. Is, is Novak, I mean, if it is Novak, that I know that that's what you guys are thinking, then go Novak. I mean, he... He's going for number 20. There's a little extra pressure. He wins this one. He's now won three of the slams in this calendar year. You know, there's a lot of things, I think, that are going to be on Novak's shoulders going into this event. I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as we might think. Novak clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with that Umber kid. He's going to make quarters, and then who knows? I'm going to stick with that kid. On play. I mean, he's not going to win, but he's going to be, uh, he could be surprised at the tournament. Because okay. he's been good, big players. But so that's, I mean, that's your dark win. horse. That's your dark horse. To win? Yeah, to win. Umber. <laughs> then if he wins, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> then I'm taking over the show. <laughs> it's yours. If Umber wins, you can host the next 10 episodes of Control the Controllables. <laughs> Which, by the way, and I'm doing it from Spain, and you're putting me up in the hotel too. It's it. All and golf, golf every day. It's it's, 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 a, it's a done deal. Hilts. Hey. <laughs> yeah, my my head says Novak. My heart says Roger. Well, that was that. <laughs> my my pick is Alexander Zverev. Mm. What makes you go with him? He's gonna win one. He, he's he's unbelievable tennis player. He yeah. serves he serves out of a tree. He hits the ball hard, flat. You look at his you look at his Grand Slam record. It's getting better and better and better. You know his business end of it. Pretty much every Grand Slam now. You know he's he, he's what finalist at U.S. Open. He, what quarter finalist to City Pass at the French Open. I, I just I just think he he is the sort of player that now is almost getting the quarterfinals of Grand Slams with his eyes closed. You know, I think he has he has the capabilities to beat Novak. Uh, I have to agree with you guys. Obviously, Rafa's not there. As much as I'd like to say Roger, I don't see Roger getting past the fourth round. You know, and and and, and I just think once we then get into quarterfinal stage and onwards. Who else? Berrettini comes to mind a little bit. I think Berrettini, I mean, Berrettini in today's final served at 80% first serve percentage yeah. and he served 19 aces. Can he, can he keep that up throughout a tournament? 80% first serve. I think he has to, to have a chance. Whereas I just think Zverev now has proven himself to be a, a top four, top five player in the world that, that will take a hell, hell of a lot of, of beating. And, and I, I think the pressure might get to Mr. Djokovic, you know, he's, you know, going for the calendar slam. 
equaling himself up to, to number 20. So mm-hmm. there's my pick, Alexander Zverev. He's mm-hmm. lost to Vesley and Gulbis in his last two outings at Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, I don't think on grass it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, but not on grass. Hi. Let, let's hey. see. I mean, I, again, I was laughed at for City Pass. He came within a set of winning the French Open. You know, I'm I'm in this position. I, I won the French Open predictions and I plan on winning the Wimbledon ones as well. What about on the women's side? Who's your winner? I'm sticking with Azarenka. She's been playing good. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with Azarenka. Hiltz? I'll go Serena. Here it for comes. The, for the... Then. For the first time ever, I hope you're right. I'm not a massive Serena fan, but I feel like history, history needs Serena to win another one. And and I think she'll be right there. Um, I'm going to go because with, and <laughs> this this girl, we pick, we talk about her every time. She's good at the pre-events normally, and then she duffs up in the Grand Slams. Whereas this time she duffed up in the pre-event. Uh, and, <laughs> And that, so, so this time I'm going to say Sabalenka. Oh, if, Sabale, if Sabalenka gets hot, then I think Sabalenka has a chance. And that is my pick for 2021 women's title. We're moving quick fire to finish little quiz. I know there's only two of you. So to answer the question, put your hand up and whoever goes first, then gives an answer. Freddie isn't here. He normally wins the quizzes. So there's now a chance. There's a chance yeah, for you guys. Xavier, the, the, there's two questions that are very British related. So we're going to see what your British tennis player information is like. Hiltz, hands off Google, please. <laughs> In what year did Fred Perry win Wimbledon? Mark Hilton. Is it 36? He's nailed it. He's nailed it. No way. <clears throat> Do you know He's how under you... the table? <laughs> <laughs> how you know that is, or how you should know that is, Andy Murray won Wimbledon. What in what year for the first time? Two thousand thirteen. Two thousand thirteen, and Andy Murray's number that comes along with him is his management company, his book, all of those things are called seventy-seven because it was 77 years since since a British male player won Wimbledon. If you think I was quick enough to do the maths on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what about the year that Virginia Wade won Wimbledon, the last British women's winner of Wimbledon, Virginia Wade in... 77. That, that number 77 again, 1977. So that's two points to Hiltz. Maybe but, some modern questions. <laughs> I probably wouldn't get it anyway. <laughs> Who was the last male Belgian player to make semi-finals at Wimbledon? <laughs> you can have it. Xavier? Thumbs up. <laughs> Xavier Melise, there you yeah, go. Baby. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, you, you're back in the game. <laughs> Two points up for grabs on this one. Which woman has won the most Wimbledon titles? Mark, Mark Hilton. Navratilova? Martina Navratilova. That's right. Ne- next questions. How many? Xavier? 
Oh, the singles? Singles. Or, singles. Oh, eight. Incorrect. Damn. Seven. Incorrect, but Xavier was closer. It was nine. nine. So, so one point to Xavier. I thought it was two points. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He got the most. <laughs> Which male has won the most Wimbledon titles? Xavier. Roger. <laughs> Roger. And how many? Hilts? Eight. Correct. Oh, it is? I thought it was nine. <laughs> it's eight. Correct. So going into the last question, Mark Hilton is four, three up. <laughs> How many strawberries are consumed at Wimbledon every year? I actually saw this. I saw this path. How many? But like in tons, right? No, number of strawberries. Oh, number of strawberries. Okay. Three and a half million. Um... I'm going to go with 3,499,000. For illegal play. <laughs> that is such a Mark Hilton thing to do, that is right there. This is why the answer should go in the chat box. <clears throat> incorrect. You're both incorrect. It's 2 million strawberries. Wow. 2 million strawberries. So Mark Hilton well is our winner of the quiz. Man, this is like high school all over again. Uh, he, he can't. He can't have got many many wins over you, Xavier, in the over the years. So we've got to we got to let him have this one. The last question. It's not. There's not a correct or incorrect answer. Who's going to win the Euro 2020 football, boys? You guys know who. You think Belgium? I think we're due. Yeah. Do you? I think the second um, half. Of the last game was a big, big one for us because we played really lame the first half and kind of put our feet on the ground and then we started playing. I mean, if everybody's healthy, if the Bruyne stays healthy, Hazard, Lukaku, everything, I think we got a. I mean, I don't want to blow my bubble here with Belgium, but we got a good chance. France de, also. De Bruyne is the best player in the world for me. I love him. Yeah, he came in and just amazing goals. So yeah, he's, in, he's incredible. And Hilt, are you back in England or not? No, no, I'm back in France. Yeah, England England will be the classic, won't it? It'll be the quarterfinal. Everyone gets so ridiculously hyped up that we're going to win it. It's coming home and all that. And then we'll bomb out, most likely on a penalty shootout. Well, I, <laughs> I got in, in the sweepstake at the academy, I got England. So I'm hoping that uh, the sweepstake comes in for me. You know, that's that's probably the... The, you the can't old... beat Scotland. Well, yeah, I think it's. I think there's trouble for England as there as there always is, yeah. but I, I think it's good. It's going to be interesting. So let's see, boys. Great catching up. Um, you know, get back to Hilt. Obviously, you got the qualifying with all the boys next next few days. So good luck to you and and Xavier. Good luck to to Lloyd as well in the grass court season. Hopefully, see you over Thanks. in Spain soon. Thanks a lot for your time. A big thank you to Xavier and to Mark for giving their time during an extremely busy time of year. Just love their insights. Not so sure about their bravery with their picks. 
And as I've said a couple of times before on the show, tennis isn't played on paper. It's played on the tennis court, and that's what we love about it so much. So, yes, Novak Djokovic is the big favourite going into the men's title. But stranger things have happened, and this sport has a real habit of showing us upsets of the unexpected turning up. And as for the unexpected, I guess nobody expects much in terms of who's going to win on the women's side. I think it's a it's a really exciting time in the women's game. So many exciting talents coming through. But nobody is grabbing that mantle as the one to beat. Serena Williams had it for so long, but it's so long now since she won a Grand Slam that I don't think that we can say that she's the big favourite. Although I think many of us would love to see her get her 24th Grand Slam. But wherever you are in the world, I hope you spend time to watch the beautiful game being played on the beautiful grass courts of Wimbledon. It really doesn't get any better. I know for one, I'm excited to see how it all unfolds. Make sure you stay tuned in the next few days. We have the excitement of the British grass court season being unpacked by so many amazing guests, including Kyle Edmund, Harriet Dart, Chris Wilkinson, Danny Sapsford, Katie O'Brien, Lucy Arl, and many, many more who are going to talk to us about the opportunities, but also the challenges of being British at this time of year. That'll be out Friday this week, and we continue to bring all these amazing guests to you. Thank you for your unnerving support. We love having you on board this amazing Control the Controllables journey. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>